Welcome to the Cary Church Podcast. For more information regarding Cary Church, visit www.cary.asn.au. Good morning, everyone. This morning I'm reading uh, Matthew chapter 26, verses 14 to 16, and Matthew 26, verses 31 to 35. So Judas agrees to betray Jesus. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty pieces of silver. From then on Judas watched for an opportunity to hand over to to hand him over. Jesus predicts Peter's denial. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will fall you Sorry, then this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Well, thanks, Bree. I'm Brian Harris, and it's my privilege to be here with you today and to start with a question. So have you ever made a bad decision? Ever made a bad decision? How many people made bad decisions here? And those of you who are not raising your hands, you made the bad decision to lie. Okay. I mean, I mean, there are all kinds of bad decisions, aren't there? We, uh, I mean, whenever I go to a restaurant, I make a bad decision. I kind of look at the menu. Uh, I look, there it is, salad. I kind of, and I say, something in my head says, that's what you should choose, that's what you should choose. And I'm very noble, and I look, it's got lettuce leaves, it's got broccoli, it's got olives, it's got all lovely things. Uh, and I decide, right, I'll choose a salad. And then the waiter or waitress comes along, and I hear myself saying, lasagna, thank you. And I think, where did that come from? And then, oh, any dessert? Yeah, sure, I'll have, uh, you, you know, the hot chocolate fudge or something like that. And, and that's not what I intended, but it's what I do. And, and, and I don't have to eat it, but I think that would be a terrible waste of money. And so I do. And then as I leave, I feel that this belt is so much tighter. And, uh, and you just feel terrible. And you say, bad decision, bad decision. When I was a teenager, first car I bought, a little Alfa Romeo, going dirt cheap. I mean, Alfa Romeos were wonderful sporting cars. I mean, I was a teenager, and every woman on the planet thought I was gorgeous. <laughs> but I thought if perhaps there were one or two who didn't, having this car would tip them over the line. Uh, and I spent every cent that I had on getting this car, which went all of about 100 kilometers before it kind of gave up the ghost and had one really expensive repair after another, after another. In the end, I just had to sell it for scrap. I mean, it was... It was a seriously bad decision, bad decision. And, and I can remember chatting to a man who had been offered a job in which he was going to get paid substantially more money than he was being paid in his present job. And I mean, he was really happy where he was, really, really happy. And, uh, but all that money, and he just couldn't resist that. 
And from day one, he knew it was just the wrong decision, but he had burnt his bridges and there was no going back. And for years, he just lived with that bad decision. And, and some bad decisions have consequences for quite a long time. And the passage, which was just read to us, uh, talks about some, some really bad decisions. And I, and, I, and I want us to think about them. There are really kind of two kinds of bad decisions there. Have you ever asked yourself this question? We, we speak so much about Judas Iscariot and about his bad decision to betray Jesus. Wh why did he make that decision? Why did he make that? I mean, have, have you ever asked yourself that question? I, I mean, he really had everything going for him. I mean, just, just put yourself in his position. He's a disciple of Jesus. He's the treasurer. John's gospel tells us that he was the treasurer for the group. Not, not treasurers and groups have enormous power, don't they? Uh, I mean, there's the, if, if you're in any large company, it's the CEO who's the most important, but the one who often wields the real influence is the CFO, the person who, who manages the finances. And uh, Judas is treasurer for the group, and his role is really important, and, and actually it's, it's quite a cushy role if you think about it, because, I mean, treasurers often land up having to get really stressed out because there's not enough money or we can't do these things. But, but, but when you're a treasurer with Jesus, it's quite different. I mean, do you remember the account of Matthew 17? Uh, they get asked to pay the temple taxes of two drachma, and there's no money to do that. So what does Jesus do? He says to Peter, just go catch a fish and then check in the mouth. And Peter catches a fish and checks in the mouth. And there's this, this four drachma coin that pays the taxes. So, so here you are, you're a treasurer. And you've got this miracle working CEO who always makes sure that there's enough money for you. I mean, nothing can actually go wrong. I mean, it's the easiest, cushiest job in the world. So, so why does Judas decide that he's going to betray Jesus? I mean, have you asked yourself that question? It's a, it's a really difficult question to answer. And, and then there's the other account there. There's, there's Peter and there's the disciples. And Jesus says to them, tonight you're all going to fall away. And Peter, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. And, and, and what does Peter do? Peter just says, absolutely ridiculous. That, 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 that is something never, ever going to happen. And it's not going to happen to me. Thank you very much. And and he just won't for even one second take seriously what Jesus is saying. And that's a really bad decision, isn't it? And so as you ask yourself this question, why do they make these bad decisions? Ask also, what can we learn about them? What can we learn about them for ourselves so, so that we don't land up in exactly that same position? So, 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 so let's be systematic about it. Let, let's start thinking about Judas. So why does Judas go to the Pharisees and say, what will you give me if I betray Jesus to you? No, no, you could give a number of different answers. Answer number one, uh, Judas was a seriously horrible character. He just was that kind of person who, you, you know, you think they're you, your friend, they go along with you, they seem to be on your side, and then they stab you in the back. And some people are just like that. They're kind of psychopathic or whatever you'd like to call them, and just a nasty piece of goods, thank you very much. So, so that's Judas. And, and if you say that, then you don't have to think about the question anymore, do you? You just say, he did it because he's horrible, and some people are just horrible, and that's the end of the question. Hmm, I don't know, that doesn't dig very deeply, does it? You could say, um, he does it because someone had to do it. Because uh, actually, it was prophesied. 
in Zechariah, if, if, if you actually remember, in Zechariah 11, verses 12 and 13, it makes it quite clear that the Messiah will be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. So someone had to do this, and poor old Judas just got the short straw. Uh, you, you know, God kind of looked down and kind of God, because God is God, can do these things and just said, Judas, it will be you, because that prophecy has to be, be uh, you know, fulfilled. Hmm. You know, if you say that, then... Judas really isn't to blame, and you can't kind of attach any responsibility to him, and uh, you don't get any questions really answered, but maybe you can take that more fatalistic stance. Maybe you can say, actually, he does it because uh, he's just greedy, and he was the treasurer, and, and John's gospel tells us that he wasn't just any kind of a treasurer, he was a thief as well. I mean, you've got to seriously question Jesus' HR capacity. I mean, he chooses, you know, 12 disciples, and uh, the person he says, you would be a great treasurer, I just see that, and you just happens to be a thief. So that's interesting selection. Uh, and, uh, you know, so he's kind of been, 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 been kind of skimming the money off as people donated to Jesus and his ministry. And, and, and if you look at the sequence of events, so, so, so we're in Matthew 26 here, these passages. If, if you go to the passage that's immediately before, do you, do you remember? what's just taken place. Uh, Dave Scaife spoke to us about it last week. Uh, there's, there's, there's Jesus, and a woman comes and, and anoints him with this extraordinarily valuable perfume. And, and, and that perfume was probably worth about the same as a year's wage. And we are told that the disciples objected to her doing that. And, and you can be sure that, that Judas, in fact, was one of the foremost who was saying, you, you know, if she had just given that money to us, we could have sold it and we could have given that money to the poor. And when Judas said that, of course, he would have been saying, and I happen to be very poor, so, you know, we could have given some of that money to me. And, and he was seriously miffed that, that Jesus doesn't reprimand this, this woman. And, and possibly, I mean, we've been a little bit speculative here, but it is possible that Judas is quite astute and he reads what's happening. And there's been this triumphal entry into Jerusalem and suddenly all that goodwill that was there has been dissipated because Jesus, in a moment of enormous foolishness, decides to cleanse the temple. And, and he picks up some whips and he drives out the money changers and Judas just looks at it and says... Seriously, Jesus, you're a loser. You're not going to win. The end of this gig is in sight. Let me see if I can't get something out of it. And if they will pay me to betray him, I mean, frankly, let's be, let's be candid. If it's not me, it's going to be someone else. So, so why not me? And so he says, how much will you give me for betraying him to you? And the, the Pharisees give the perfectly reasonable reply, we will give you 30 pieces of silver, which if you read in Leviticus was the, the price to be paid for the life of a slave. So we'll give you 30 pieces of silver. How much money was that? Well, uh, a piece of silver represented four uh, denarius. A denarius was what you got paid for a day's work, so it represents about 120 days' worth of work, four months' salary or so. And Judas probably looks at that and says, okay, reasonable, this gig's coming to a close, let me get my final little dividend from it, four months' salary, and I'm out of here, thank you very much. That, that quite possibly is what happens. So he's not a terrible person, he's just a ruthless person. He just, just reads things for what they are, and, and he sees them absolutely exactly, and he decides that that then is the most important thing, let me get from Jesus what I can. And, and that's, that's a reasonable explanation. Uh, there, 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 there is a fourth one. Uh, it's, it's one that some theologians think is, is, is perhaps the most credible, 
Uh, it's a little bit speculative, but uh, let's test it. It puts it more in its political context, and it reminds us that in the time of Jesus, there were various political groups, and those political groups were really important because the Romans had conquered, uh, had conquered the Jews, and the Jews in their own way were trying to find out ways to resist what had taken place. And in your response to what the Romans had done, you could become an Essene, and a scene where uh, they were a group of people who kind of just uh, escaped and had nothing to do with the current uh, political situation. You could become a Sadducee, which would be to say, you know, the, the Romans are so evil and they don't keep the law that we won't have anything to do with them. You could become a Pharisee or belong to the Pharisaical party. You now, the Pharisees, in terms of their political stance to the Romans, they said, you know, Rome has conquered us, but we've got to do the best that we can, and we can try and make the occasional deal with the Romans. And, and, they, and they, they tried to form alliances with the Romans. Or you could become a zealot. And a zealot was really uh, to, to, to be a freedom fighter or to be a terrorist, uh, to be someone who would go and who would try to try to make it as difficult as possible for the Romans. Now, now there is an increasing school of thought that says that, that Judas Iscariot was a zealot, that he was a member of the zealot party. Now, if he was, then basically you would argue like this. If you say, 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 say to Judas, so, so Judas, uh, you betrayed Jesus. Why did you betray him? I mean, you, you were following him. What, what, what were you thinking at that time? I think Judas would say something like this. Um, well, well, you've got to understand, I, I was a zealot, and I was willing to do anything, I mean like anything, to get those Romans beaten. And one day as I was walking along, I bumped into this man, Jesus, and, and he was speaking to enormous crowds of people. And, and he was given a message that was really quite remarkable. And, and as I heard him speaking, I mean, I was just overwhelmed by what he was saying. And I thought, if anyone, if anyone, if anyone can kind of get us Jews to rise up and conquer the Romans, it's this man. And, and so I followed him because I thought he would be the Messiah. I mean, we knew, we knew that, that the Messiah was coming, and we knew that when the Messiah came, surely the Romans would be defeated. I mean, it was as clear as clear as clear could be that if Messiah came, well, then surely the Jews would be back in charge again, and the Romans would be beaten. And so I followed him because I believed that he would overthrow the Romans, and it looked like it was working. I mean, all the other disciples, when Jesus said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, they said, don't go, they'll kill you, it's so difficult. Me, I thought differently about that. I thought, good move, because if if you go to Jerusalem, you will force the Romans' hands. Something has to happen. And I was so excited. I was so, I tell you, that day that Jesus walked into Jerusalem where those crowds came. Do you remember it? Palm Sunday. It's actually Palm Sunday today. You remember Palm Sunday? They were waving palm leaves and they were saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed to the best blessings be to the son of David. In other words, you are the Messiah. And, and when I saw that crowd kind of just praising Jesus, I knew this is the moment. Messiah has come, and he's going to speak to the crowd, and he's going to say to the crowd, so rise up, rise up. Now is our moment. Now is the time to fight back. Now is the time to conquer the Romans. I knew that was the moment. And he blew it. I mean, Jesus absolutely blew it. What does he do? He goes from that moment, and instead of attacking the Romans, he attacks us Jews. And he goes to the temple, 
And he starts picking this big fight with the religious leaders. And he turns over the, 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 the money changers' tables. And he does all these things. And I'm just saying, no, 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 you're, you're fighting the wrong enemy. You're fighting the wrong enemy. It's the Romans you must be getting. And, and I wondered what I could do. And so I went to the Pharisees and I said, and, I, and this was what I was thinking. You must understand what I was thinking. I, I thought if we handed him over to the Romans, because only the Romans could authorize him being killed. I thought if we handed him over to the Romans, it would force his hands. And he would have to call on God to bring down tens of thousands of angels. And then Messiah would truly have come and us Jews would be back on top again. But it didn't happen like that, did it? And I suddenly realized when you're standing there before Pilate, saying nothing, defending himself, not at all, I suddenly realized he was willing to die. And I realized that I'd made the biggest mistake in my life. And I went back to the religious leaders and I pleaded with them, I'll give you the money back, I'll give you the money back, just, just intervene, tell them that you don't want to be killed anymore. And it was too late, it was too late. Biggest, biggest, biggest decision in my life. And I, I went off and I killed myself, killed myself. Well, I don't know which one's true. I mean, you can argue for any of those four, but what we do know is that Judas made the very biggest decision in his life. Whether it was politically motivated, whether it was about greed, whether it was just that he was a really bad man, whether it was just his fate, I, I don't know. But we do know that Judas somehow thought that he should pressurize Jesus to be a different kind of Jesus to the Jesus he was. And that's always a very big mistake. That is always a very big mistake. What, what, what about the second big mistake? I mean, it comes here again in, in, in Matthew chapter 26. In Matthew chapter 26, we, we are told that Jesus warns the disciples uh, that they're all going to fall away. And oh, I'm going to see some heavy rain coming down there. Here we go. Matthew 26, verse 31. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, This very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the disciples said the same. And all the disciples said the same. Uh, you, you know, there, there you go. It's, it's one of the oldest of mistakes that Peter makes. And he makes this really bad decision. I'm not going to even vaguely consider what Jesus is saying. Jesus is warning me. He's warning me. He's saying, be careful. I mean, in the next few hours, you're going to face the greatest temptation in your life. And, and you're, you're going to fall away. You're going to deny me. I'm warning you. I'm warning you. I'm warning you. Listen to me. Listen to me. And, 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 and what does Peter say? Never. Nonsense. I know myself. I am not like other people. Thank you very much. You see, that, 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 that's what Peter's saying. Did you hear him say it's ever so clearly there? I mean, there it is. Chapter 26. Verse 33. Peter replied, even if all, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I never will. Everyone else is a wimp, but I am not. And oh my goodness, we make bad decisions when we think that we're not like other people. We make such bad decisions when we think we're not like other people. The temptations that other people will succumb to won't, won't, won't cause us to succumb. Yeah, sure, we, 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 we're people. We can, 
I mean, we can do no exercise and just watch TV all day and eat what we like, but our health will always be fine. Really? Really? You can watch all the porn you like and it won't impact your marriage, it won't impact your mind. Really? Really? I mean, you can just work all the time and uh, never ever spend quality time with your kids and they're going to be absolutely fine. Really? Really? Do, are you really not like other people? I mean, we must stop deluding ourselves, and this is what the passage says. It's the mistake that Peter makes. I am not like other people. I mean, I've spent a lot of my life thinking I'll never get older. I mean, how many of you think that you'll never get older? And, and then suddenly you realize that, oh my goodness, something is happening here. I, I'll tell you what happened to me just, just, just very recently. Uh, a friend of mine from school days, so I'd last seen him when he was about 16 or 17, invited me to be friends with him on Facebook. And I was quite excited because I'd been quite a good friend of his. And so I accept the, accept the friend invitation. I go to his profile page, and I look at his profile page and think, oh, oh, that's sad. Uh, probably his father's just died because his father's picture is on his profile page. Uh, and, and I remembered his dad, and I thought, oh, he's getting older, but he'd be in his 90s or something now, so I suppose he's just trying to remember him. And, I kind of, and then I look at the profile page again, and I say, that's not his father, that's him. And I kind of realized that this is my friend who, who looks just like his father, except older. And I thought, so what's happened to him? And, and then I think, and I wonder what he's thinking about me, and kind of what's happened to me. And, and, and you realize, so, so I mean, I last saw him when he was 16, 17, and... Now I'm seeing him as about 60 and the years have gone by and you're, it happens to everyone, it happens to everyone. None of us are exempt. And, and, and really, this is what this passage is saying. Be, be humble, learn from one another, learn from the life experiences of other people. You are not exempt from anything. And if you look at anything in life that other people struggle with and you say, that will never happen to me. Oh my goodness, that's exactly what Peter did. Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, this is going to be the most difficult night in your life. You need to get ready in a way that you've never got ready before. Are you prepared? No. Don't need to do anything. Talking nonsense. I'm quite different to everyone else. And I guess that that lack of listening had been a, a problem for Peter all the way through. Because Jesus had taught, had taught so often that, 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 that while following him would be the most exhilarating and the most wonderful journey in the world, that actually to be a disciple of Jesus meant that you had to take up your cross and follow him. In fact, Luke's gospel tells us that Jesus said, you must take up your cross daily and follow me. And, and somehow that message never really quite penetrated. And they thought that following Jesus was just about this great buzz of being with great crowds of people and having people saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and thinking that it would always be glorious. But following Jesus always involves going the way of the cross. And it involves listening to Jesus when Jesus says, actually, it can be tough sometimes. Will you be there? Will, will you still follow me? And, and, and notice, notice more that it's not just Peter. It's also the other disciples. Because we're told here, Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Oh my goodness, Peter, you have no idea what you're saying. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. And all the other disciples said the same. Ah, oh, we get caught up with the crowd so quickly, don't we? And the disciples, you know, hear this little conversation with Peter. And they hear about needing to be loyal, and they hear about the tough time that's there. And they hear Peter just say, no, it's not going to be a problem, thank you very much, not going to be a problem at all. And they all just quickly say, no, forget about it, geez, all going to be fine. It's, it's just following the crowd. 
And I guess the other thing that we sometimes do when we make really bad decisions is that we don't think for ourselves, and we don't look at ourselves, and we don't take seriously the challenges that lie ahead, and we're happy just to parrot what everyone else is saying. And so they just parrot. We're all going to be fine. We're all going to be fine. Uh, I think it was Malcolm Muggeridge, the, 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 the British uh, media commentator, a number of years ago said 10,000 people saying the same thing makes it untrue even if it happens to be true. Interesting thing. 10,000 people saying the same thing makes it untrue even if it happens to be true. Uh, what, what was Muggeridge saying? If you're just mouthing what everyone else says, you don't really mean it. You've not really thought about it. It isn't really yours. You, to, to own decisions in life, you, you need to think about them, and you need to take them seriously, and you need to hear seriously the call of Jesus. Are you, are you willing to follow me, whatever the price? Are you willing to follow me, whatever the price? Perhaps you say to me, Brian, okay, well, fair enough, I get it, that we all make bad decisions. And maybe some of you are thinking about some seriously bad decisions you've made. And you look at those and you wonder, so what can I do about those? And I think it's really important to read this passage, this passage just before Easter. It's a passage about some really bad decisions that people close to Jesus made. But don't forget, it takes place just about 12 hours before the cross. And it's because it takes place before the cross that the passage is filled with so much hope. Because it's saying to us, yes, we do make terrible decisions. And we do do the wrong thing. But, but the cross says there is forgiveness and there is hope and there is the starting again. And, and if you read this passage and just think, oh my goodness, they made bad decisions. And oh my goodness, I've made so many bad decisions. And isn't it terrible because in life, it's just a matter of time until you make another bad decision. And, and therefore, there is no hope and there's no way forward. If you read the passage like that, you've completely missed the passage because this takes place just before the cross. And the cross says for every bad decision, there is forgiveness and there is hope and there is starting again. And it says to us, and that's exactly why Jesus died. And that's exactly why Jesus died. That you and I might have hope again. And so perhaps today you're sitting with some haunting decision you made that really was terribly wrong. And you wonder if there's any hope. And let me say, because of Easter, there is hope. Because after crucifixion, there is resurrection. After sin, if there is repentance, there is forgiveness. And there is the starting again. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we look to you as the only one who can be the way that we can move beyond our bad decisions. Some of us, Lord, have decisions we deeply regret. They've had long, long, long-term consequences. Forgive us, Lord. We pray that after death there would be resurrection, that after sin there would be forgiveness that because of you, we would find hope. Thank you that we find that in your cross. In your name. Amen.